Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Overtake F1 podcast. I am Ted. As always, I am joined by my brother, Tom. Tom, we're headed to Japan for the race at Suzuka. What is going on? Uh, well, we're looking to see if Ferrari can uh, bounce back from a poor performance in Russia, see if uh, the Mercedes have gotten back into it and can overtake the Ferraris, and we're going to look to see if Honda can make a splash uh, now that they are returning to Suzuka under the Red Bull banner. Um, first things first, though, we do have some news. Uh, first thing is that the 2020 race calendar has been confirmed. Uh, we have 22 races, the most ever in an F1 season, uh, two new events in Vietnam on April 5th and in the Netherlands for the Dutch GP at Zandvoort on May 3rd. Uh, we have Barcelona and Mexico. Uh, they were kind of rumored to be on the outs when the provisional calendar was released. They have been confirmed uh, and are on the calendar. And we've got about uh, seven back-to-back races this upcoming season. Uh, we have Australian Bahrain back-to-back to kick us off. We have the Netherlands and Spain back-to-back. Baku and Canada, France and Austria, Spa and Italy, Singapore and Russia, and the United States and the Mexican Grand Prix will all be back-to-back races. So going to be a lot of work for those mechanics, a lot of work for those teams, but uh, should be some fun racing as we get to go all over the globe next year. We've known about a lot of of the calendar, what's been confirmed uh, for a while now, but this kind of just cements everything in stone that we we are going to have, as you mentioned, the most races in any F1 season. Uh, we're going to be racing from early March until uh, almost the last day of November, uh, where the season will uh, culminate in Abu Dhabi, as it has uh, in the past. And yeah, a lot of these back-to-backs just look really tough for the teams. Um, Australia and Bahrain, like obviously Australia is difficult uh, and always is a, uh, a flyaway race. And it's just in a region of the world that is not close to anything else. But yeah, Australia and Bahrain is going to be tough. Um, Baku and Canada will also be tough. And then um, Singapore and Russia, we just saw. Uh, but everything else is, is pretty close to each other. So, you know, what jumped out at me was that really, I think Formula One has made a stamp that they're really just, they're trying to continue to grow the sport. Like they're going for volume. They know that more volume is more money uh, for marketing, for advertising, uh, for tracks. They want, to be, they want to be relevant for as many months as possible. So I think we're really only going to be um, really only not going to be racing over three months of the year, but obviously there's going to be winter testing in there. So tons going on. It's, it's truly going to be a year round sport Uh, and 22 races. That's a lot of racing. So we're going to be doing a lot of preview, a lot of recap and preview pods for these back-to-back weeks, but it's going to be fun. I'm glad some of these, uh, some of these tracks that were rumored to be on the outs are still around. Moving on to some news from McLaren that we all found out about, uh, during the Russia week, but uh, we're bringing it up here just to elaborate a little bit on it. McLaren is going to be returning to Mercedes engines uh, in 2021. News broke, broke before the uh, the Russian GP. And since Andreas Seidel uh, has come in to basically lead this McLaren team, like he's been making waves. They've been getting a lot of momentum. Um, and he definitely sounds like a guy who is making an impact immediately uh, on this McLaren team. Uh, he was the leading voice uh, for the change. And I think everybody at McLaren was you know, was just sick of the unreliability uh, of the Renault and obviously of the Honda uh, previously. And when we, when we think of reliability, we think of Mercedes engines. 
and of course they have history behind them. Um, the last time the McLaren Mercedes joined forces was 1995 to 2014. Uh, they secured 78 Grand Prix victories, three drivers championships and one constructors championship. So obviously the times have changed, but looking back at that, they can say that was a great, very successful time for McLaren. And I think they want to get back into it. And I think it's a great idea. It's a great partnership. You have um, McLaren kind of running away with the midfield right now. Uh, they'd only have been doing, they'd only be doing better if they had reliable Mercedes engines. They wouldn't have those uh, Carlos Sainz DNFs and Lando Norris DNFs in Spa and Italy. And I think that this is going to be kind of the last step for them to really make a charge at Red Bull and then potentially the top two. Because if they can't do it with, the team they have, the car they have, and then getting these Mercedes engines in here, then we'll know that it's basically not possible for a customer team to get in there, no matter how much money they throw at it. Because McLaren is well poised. Andreas Seidel is a he's a winner. He won in WEC. He knows how to run a successful team. He's the guy they need in charge, and it's definitely a great move for McLaren. Yeah, this is all part of Zach Brown's like five, four to five year plan to get McLaren uh, back on top. And I think we've heard a lot about, and this is definitely like CEO speak, right? Because we've heard it from Renault and Cyril Abitable as well. But you hear about these, you know, four or five year plans that these teams are trying to have to get back um, to the top and get to where Mercedes and Ferrari are, because you can't just do this stuff overnight. So you've got to make these partnerships multiple years out. Um, and there's just so many variables heading into 2021. So it could be something where, you know, the playing field is level uh, or is at least way more uh, close in 2021 because the rules change so much. It might be easier to you know follow the cars. We've seen obviously models and we've seen heard rumors about what, you know, racing is going to be like in 2021. But I think you if you check that reliability box, um, you allow yourself as McLaren to be able to put that Mercedes engine uh, into your chassis. Um Obviously, that has positive momentum from what we've seen uh, from a lot of the other customer teams that have used Mercedes engines. And, you know, is this a good move for Red or for McLaren? Yes. I mean, 2021 is going to be a whole different can of worms. Like with this Renault right now, they're at 101 points and they're fourth in the constructors. So they're they're leading the way, but they're also competing uh, right there against Renault, you know, at that same level. So Renault's in fifth with 68. Obviously, they're still kind of far behind, but you know, two DNFs and um, a, a Renault 4.5 finish, and they can obviously cut into that lead. But I think as you get into these murky waters of you're competing against each other at this, you know, for this fourth place, um, it's tricky for McLaren. It's tricky for uh, Renault to be competing against each other and, and giving each other those engines. But also, you know, as we'll get into here in a second, McLaren and, Mer McLaren and Mercedes like want to have that problem moving forward. Yeah, uh, Total Wolf asked if uh, he felt there was a risk that McLaren could beat them. Uh, he says he welcomes the challenge. Uh, he says, quote, there's one risk in this that is if McLaren do a good job, they will push us hard and maybe benchmark us in a way to say, okay, we are on the same power. You guys are not doing a good enough job. But where we are now, after seven years in the hybrid era, we feel we are ready for that step. And I think that's just Total Wolf, you know. Being very businessman-like and very like, oh yes, what's you know, this is a deal. This is a very good deal because you know Mercedes is making money off that engine deal. They're going to get money from McLaren that they can then put into 
their racing program. And as we've seen, Mercedes' racing program is a machine and is fantastically well-oiled. And so hopefully McLaren can come in and, you know, they have big budget and deep pockets too. They can come in and they can compete with Mercedes, you know, kind of it's a, they're both on the same engine. It's a little bit of an apples to apples comparison. And, you know, if McLaren's chassis is really as good as they think it is, if their aerodynamics are as good as they think it is, um, you know, they could compete, but we'll see because everything's going to get kind of rewritten in 2021 with all the new rules. I think the engines are mostly staying the same, but it is the aerodynamics which are really going to change. And so we'll see if uh, McLaren can keep their momentum going. We'll see if Mercedes can keep their momentum going. You know, who knows what the changes will look like um, after they institute the new Concord agreement and the new engine rules. And we think of McLaren as a midfield team you know, right now, but they obviously have a great history uh, of winning and great partnerships with Honda and Mercedes in the past. And they're well-funded. Like they, if they can get back on the winning train, you know, they're definitely a well-funded operation with a lot of investment uh, that if they gain some momentum, they can be uh, a top-tier team in the future. We've just seen such despair uh, from them in the last four or five years um, with Honda and then also here with Renault. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens between, you know, if McLaren can pick it up and uh, and be competitive, what happens with Mercedes there. I think obviously, like you said, Total Wolf, it's, it's CEO speak from Total Wolf. He's been rumored to be a nominee for the next head of the FIA needs to be very diplomatic in these senses. But as you mentioned, like, yes, Mercedes is going to make money off of this. And uh, if these two are competing at the end of a season in, you know, Suzuka in four years, um, it may be a different case here, but flipping the coin over to the team that is losing the customer Renault, is this good for Renault? And will Renault ever have another customer's team as they've lost uh, Red Bull and, now the news of McLaren over the last calendar year. I think in the long term, it might not be great. Um, they're not going to have, you know, customer teams. They're not going to have anybody they're selling to. But uh, I think in the short term, it's going to help them because they're just not going to have to worry about other engines. They're not going to have to tax that team to build, you know, uh, however many engines it will be a season. They only have to build the, the engines for their car. And, you know, that way they can focus on it and they don't have to worry about quantity. They can only worry about quality. Who knows if that actually makes a huge change overall. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how the engines are made and what the factory looks like and what that procedure and the process looks like. But, you know, not having to have this thing get, get put into other cars might just make it easier on Renault to say, you know, let's just make a better engine for our car and, you know, and screw the rest. We don't have to worry about it. Um, hopefully that's how it goes. That's the, like the rosy opinion here, but uh, it's definitely not a good look when Renault is coming, trying to come back in the sport, trying to say, we're eventually going to be fighting with the big dogs. We're eventually going to be fighting with Ferrari and Mercedes. And now they have zero engine customers because they just, no one likes their engine. Their engine is just so unreliable. And so, you know, power like it's it feels underpowered compared to the ferrari and the mercedes in reality i don't know how much it is because the Renault has been good on speedy tracks but the reliability has just been an absolute joke from red bull and from Renault and from mclaren and so it's just it's kind of the 
reputation gets around if you have a shit product no one's gonna buy your product and so now here they are agreed i think Renault is gonna be good for Renault because they're gonna be able to focus on themselves and they're gonna be look be able to look internally instead of externally and now serial biddable doesn't have to pick up the phone which is essentially a customer service line for all of the other teams bitching and complaining about his uh his engine fitting into their chassis so i think that's going to be a relief for Renault, and we'll see what the what the monetary deficit, you know, not having these customer teams, what that monetary deficit uh, does to Renault moving forward, especially as we move into the next phase of budget caps and, um, you know, just different math from 2021 on. Formula One continues to try and float the idea of reverse grids in qualifying. Uh, to me, this seems like it would be, it would make everything even more of a circus and the temperature that you take of different teams it's it's almost like it's it's not real it's almost like it's uh fairy tale or fantasy land uh when this comes up but this this notion keeps getting pitched to formula one teams the idea here is the race they would race on saturday in reverse championship order so the last person in the championships like in this case george russell would be first and Robert Kubica would be next to him in second. And then Romain Grosjean would be in third spot. And then they would just race. It would be like a shorter race. It wouldn't be the full, you know, 53 or 60 laps, however many it is. It'd be a shorter distance. But then wherever everyone ended up, that would be the positions they started in for the full race on Sunday. And a lot of people at Formula One are super into it. Will Buxton is taking a lot of flack online for being super into it. But all the drivers have come out and said they are totally not into it. They think it is uh, artificial drama injected into the race. They think it is extra work. It's extra danger. It's just too much that they are trying to change because they feel that the 2021 rules, the new rules aren't good enough, or they want to have it be more of a spectator sport. And um, the big question is like, it's it's kind of 50-50. Some people are for it, some people are against it, you know. There's it would be fun. It would be fun to watch that race, but it's just like what is the cost of doing that? Like what is that going to do if you have an entire race being run? I mean, we've seen how these guys start. We've seen how lap 1 is in most races. If you have you know, Sebastian Vettel trying to get past, you know, Lance Stroll, but he's jammed between Giovinazzi and now like uh, Sebastian Vettel spins his car out in the, on Saturday. How is that going to go over when he's like down on points in the championship? Like it's kind of, I'm just not into it. What do you think? I'm not into it either. I think I, there's nothing to me. There's nothing wrong with Saturday. I think the way that they've crafted Saturday and crafted qualifying, it's entertaining enough. I tune into every single qualifying. Um, I watch Q1, Q2, Q3 all the way through. It gives me a ton of good knowledge. Uh, from the announcers and it gives me enough basically like data to accumulate on and seeing what those cars are doing on Saturday uh, that I can translate and use on Sunday when I'm watching um, the actual race. I think, you know, over the last 20 years and over the history of Formula One, the teams have gotten more and more and more focused on reliability and like keeping these engines running over the course of an entire season, right? Like you've got three engines that you can take over the whole season before you have to take penalties. And I think they do that with the car 
as well to keep costs down. So the, I think the teams and the drivers are going to do whatever they can to, one, not put themselves in more danger by running an extra race on Saturday. Two, are going to do everything they can to keep costs down so that they don't, you know, Lewis Hamilton doesn't bend his car like you said at the start of a Saturday race, and then they've got to spend all all night rebuilding it. Like qualifying is just safer. There's less. Yes, it's going to happen, but there's less of a chance that you're going to totally destroy your car on Saturday. So I think the model that they have now is fine. And this, to me, just this stinks of exactly what the NFL is doing right now and trying to push like an 18 game schedule. They're trying to maximize what they can get out of the product on the field. We've already expanded to 22 races. If we did a, you know, reverse grid uh, qualifying race on Saturday, that basically doubles that to, you know, 44 like events, you know, that you can watch. And um, would it be more interesting? Yes, probably, but it would be artificial and it would be manufactured. So I don't think it's worth it's going worth going through and changing, taking out qualifying, making this what Saturday is, unless you're going to be allowed to like give manufacturers new cars or more cars or more lifelines because there's going to be more accidents and more expenses. Yeah, if this plan goes through, I see a lot of teams being forced out of the sport due to money and budget constraints because, you know, like you said, you're running twice as many races now and, you know, the chances of you putting it in the wall in a race are astronomically more than putting it in the wall in qualifying. We see it happen in qualifying, but, you know, if it's if there's another race that's more stress, that's more work, the engineers are already doing seven back-to-backs to pack everything up and break everything down. It's just, it's too much. The circus is, there's only so much it can do before it starts breaking down. And I think the biggest thing is the format we have now works. Like, it's not the format's fault that Ferrari can't pull their heads out of their asses sometimes. It's not the format's fault that we don't have three or four or five competitive teams at the top. Like, if we have this qualifying race, it's not going to make McLaren better. Like, McLaren's still not going to get a win right now. Like, Hamilton and Vettel and the Mercedes and the Ferraris and the Red Bulls are just so much better that even if they start fifth or seventh or tenth, they're still going to rocket past. How many times have we seen Albon or Vettel or Verstappen start at the back of the grid and finish sixth or fifth? This reverse grid thing is just going to cause more headaches and we're still going to get the same result on Sunday. So I'm, I'm not in favor. I think this is a bad idea and I think that it will hopefully die on the vine. Well, I'm looking forward to it being in the F1 ecosystem, uh, message boards, chat rooms, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Reddit, all over the place until they finally get it squashed. But um, I don't think this debate is going anywhere. I don't think this debate is leaving us anytime soon. On to the Japanese Grand Prix. We are headed to the Suzuka International Racing Course located in central Japan near Nagoya and east of Osaka. The event was first held informally in the early 1960s and first held as part of Formula One in 1976 and 1977 at the Fuji Motor Speedway and then went on hiatus. It was on hiatus until 1987 and the Japanese Grand Prix was then run at Suzuka from 1987 to 2007. Suzuka is always an important track when deciding the WDC, including 
a memorable three-year uh, stretch between Prost and Senna in 88, 89, and 90. In 88, Senna won the WDC here, uh, his eighth win of the season, outlasting Elaine Prost. In 89, Prost and Senna come together. Senna finished the race, but was then disqualified. Go check out all this stuff on YouTube. It's amazing. In 1990, the famous Senna ordeal about the location of the pole sitter on the inside or the outside of the track heading into turn one. Senna and Prost come together again, and Senna wins his second driver title. In 2005, Kimi started in 17th place and stormed from the back, winning the race after passing Giancarlo Frischilla on the final lap. I don't think Kimmy will be doing it that this weekend, but let's hope he has a great race. He needs to bounce back. Uh, in Suzuka, we will be doing 53 laps around the 5.807-kilometer circuit. Uh, that's 3.6 miles around. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen does hold a lap record from that 2005 race. Uh, he set a 131.540, and that record has stood for 14 years. Uh, we only have one DRS zone here, and that's on the start-finish straight. Uh, the reason we don't is because the other long, fast section of the track is uh, the 130R curve, and I don't think they want any drivers taking that curve without a full downforce of their cars. Prior winners here, uh, Hamilton has five victories, Vettel four victories, and Kimi that sole victory from 2005. Uh, Suzuka is the only figure eight circuit in Formula One. Uh, drivers will be passing over each other uh, at the hairpin and at the 130R. Uh, it's a fantastic circuit. I think this is, and again, this is one of the big ones. This is one of the spas, the Monzas, the... Uh, Great Britons and Silverstones of the world. Um, the f- drivers love driving on it. The fans love being there. Uh, the Japanese fans come out in droves, and there will be a ton out there with this recent success of the Honda engine and Red Bull and Toro Rosso. So that'll be a great, great atmosphere out there this weekend. Tires on offer this weekend, C1, C2, and C3, the hardest tires that we have on offer. Last year's results, Hamilton, Botas and Verstappen was on your podium. Yeah, last year was the uh, last stop on the Ferrari fail train uh, because Ferrari just absolutely qualified disastrously in the wet. Uh, Kimi started in fourth. Vettel started in ninth. And then Vettel tried to do the thing where he just immediately tries to get up to the front. um, And he ended up uh, hitting Verstappen on lap eight at the spoon corner. Uh, it ended up with the Vettel spinning, Verstappen going on fine to get a podium, but Vettel was just in such desperation mode at that point that he just lunged for a gap that wasn't there and an opportunity that wasn't there. And he then spent the rest of his race lapping uh, midfield drivers. Um, but there were some great midfield battles. Um, Leclerc was out there doing his damage. Uh, Perez had a couple great overtakes in there. So definitely a fun race. Uh, Definitely going to be a very fun race this year. There is a weather warning uh, in Japan at the moment, and we do have weather heading straight for the racetrack. Uh, Although just a little bit under a week away, uh, the Japanese GP is bracing for potential rain and strong winds from tropical cyclone uh, Hagibis. Uh, This was a typhoon uh, out there off the coast of Japan, but it has been downgraded to a tropical cyclone. Um, So we are expecting uh, heavy rain and heavy wind is forecasted for the weekend. Um, It seems like the curse of of the announcer and the curse of the preview for uh, weather at race weekend has most of the time proved to have 
weather conditions stay favorable uh, for the race, but there is a massive storm sill uh, moving from east to west and could impact the race on Saturday and Sunday. Last time there was a cyclone uh, that was in the news and and headed for Suzuka was unfortunately 2014, uh, which was the year that Jules Bianchi uh, lost his life after a crash in wet conditions. So I think everybody in the Formula One community uh, remembers the tragic day that that was. And hopefully uh, as we brace for more weather to pass through Japan and pass through Suzuka, that every precaution is taken uh, that we don't have a situation that could even come remotely close to something like that happening again. So there's obviously a lot to unpack heading into Suzuka this weekend. Hamilton recently said, uh, and I'm quoting from race fans, he said, I don't think uh, we're going to be the favorite in these races, meaning the races the rest of the season, uh, but I think we can still turn heads. That's surprising to me to hear Hamilton say that. Tom, is that just Mercedes speak, or do you think there's some truth in that as we head into the final couple races of the season? I think this is just the typical Mercedes sandbagging. Um, you know, of course, they're going to say, oh, we're we're definitely the slower car this week. Oh, the, the Ferraris really have it together. I don't know if we'll be I don't know if we'll be in the mix. And then, of course, they take one, two. Um, you know, you look at all these races. Um, the only reason that Lewis doesn't run through these races and have, you know, consistent wins the last few years is because he's given up by this point. He's already got the lead secured and won. And so he just kind of takes it easy and doesn't fight for, uh, doesn't risk anything. Um, you know, you look at Austin last year where Kimmy won in the Ferrari. You look at Mexico the last few years where Red Bull has won, I think with Max and then Danny Ricardo in 20, 2017. Um, he's just happy to take fifth and take home the win. You know, he's not fighting anybody. He's not like putting his car anywhere where it might be in trouble. Um, he's probably like, going hard and qualifying, but not like pushing it on the limit in case he spins. Um, so ha- Hamilton is just, he's fooling, you know, he'll be up there. He'll be in the podium. He'll be on the podium. He'll be like pushing Leclerc and Vettel uh, and Botas for podiums, you know, and, polls for you know the next the remaining races um now ferrari has been coming on strong and has looked really really uh good in especially the speedy tracks that are going to be like suzuka and coda but you know it's mercedes they always find a way to be in the mix they always find a way to win so you know hamilton might be down in qualifying but he'll definitely be there when it comes time for the race yeah, I mean, if you just look at the results for the last couple of years, like other than Coda and uh, Mexico, Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton have dominated uh, this last third of the season. And that's part of the reason why they are five consecutive years uh, double champions in the constructors and, um, and for Hamilton in the drivers. They really do succeed and they are really good on these tracks. And then obviously uh, their competitors and their main rivals, Ferrari, have obviously done a number to throw away some of these races. So if you look at the stat box and just look at the winners from the last third of the season, the last couple of years, it's dominated by Mercedes as is much of the rest of the calendar. Yes. Uh, Kimi pulled off one at Coda last year and then the Red Bulls have been successful, successful in Mexico. Uh, but if you look at just about every other race down there, it's Lewis Hamilton or Valtteri Botas in the Mercedes uh, taking wins there. And that's why they are five time, back-to-back double champs. 
Ferrari has the straight line speed that's been really great uh, recently. They've had a bunch of success here since summer break, but I think we look for Mercedes to be the favorites moving forward. I can't really take Hamilton uh, seriously with these comments. So Hamilton, obviously sandbagging for the next few races. He's trying to like be like, hey, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna be amazing. But um, I think the big question is going to be more on whether Ferrari gets their head out of their asses and performs this week. You know, they were great in the first three races since the break, and then Russia was just an absolute catastrophe. So, Ted, the question is: Are we going to get Spa and Monza Ferrari, or are we going to get? Russia Ferrari this week in Japan. This is a big race to see what Ferrari can do picking themselves up off the ground. There's obviously a lot of drama. Um, last week was a fantastic race for the soap opera and the circus of Formula One, but it was an awful weekend for Ferrari. Um, what's their driver structure power? Um, what are they looking forward to in the next season between Vettel and Leclerc? So there's tons of drama going on at Ferrari now. Can they pick themselves up and like, I think that Saturday is going to be super important. It's I think whoever dominates, and I said this on the Russia recap, is you have to go with whoever dominates qualifying and whoever finishes in the superior position in qualifying has to get the favoritism. And that's really that's the only way Ferrari knows how to operate, and they shouldn't try and be somebody they're not. So let the drivers duke it out. You know, everybody, each guy gets a toe. Let the drivers duke it out in qualifying, and whoever gets the qualifying... Uh, superiority should be favored for the race and that's the way it should work for the rest of the season but Suzuka is a track that favors Ferrari um, it's a high-speed circuit but does require a lot of downforce especially through the S's uh, but the car has shown to be a really good car since the summer break and Leclerc is going for his fifth straight pole and I think he's going to get it um, I think the Ferrari has been especially in qualifying I think they've been really solid I think that they have had the right setups they've had the right um you know, they put the drivers in the right position to do well. Leclerc is driving like an absolute madman. And so at least as far as Saturday goes, I think Ferrari is going to be on it. And I think they'll probably get be do well on Sunday as long as they don't try to get fancy and just race the race. It's like you said, whoever's in first gets the strategy. That's how they ran it. That's how they should run it. That's how like every team runs it. It's like if you're the first man out, if you are the man on pole, you're going to get – the best strategy you're getting strategy a we're going to push you to get the win and failing that then we'll go to the next guy to see if he can get the win but i don't think they get cute i think they just get everyone helmets on in the car race and just call it and so i think that we're i i if i had if i was a betting man and i and i am i would put money on leclerc uh for the victory in suzuka um if not the win then he's at least going to beat out Smash and battle, I think. A team that definitely did not bin it in Russia and performed admirably was McLaren. Uh, Carlos Sainz with a sixth place finish and Lando Norris with an eighth place finish. Uh, a double points race for Renault in a double points race for McLaren in Russia. Andrzejda recently said that he and McLaren are targeting sixth place for Carlos Sainz. That would mean that he would have to uh, beat out Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly, both who for a portion of this season, have drove, driven a far superior car uh, than the McLaren. Tom is sixth place from Carlos Sainz in a McLaren, a reasonable expectation? Or do we think that sixth is out of reach and maybe seventh is a better spot for him to be? If you had asked me this over the summer break, I would have bet on Carlos Sainz to get sixth. 
given the shakeup at Red Bull, it made sense that Albon was coming from a really low points position and was finally in a position to score points while Gasly was taking the opposite route. He was off to a lot of points and now he's not going to get as many points that he's in a Toro Rosso. But then, but then signs had those two DNFs in Spa and Italy. It all started to look like it was coming unraveled. Now it's real tough, but I think unfortunately I got to put my money on Albon to take the rest just because he's been, He's been doing well enough. The car is that much better. I think that, you know, he's going to get sixth while Sainz is going to get, you know, seventh. And unfortunately, Albon's going to creep up and creep up and then eventually pass Sainz. I would love, love to say that Sainz gets sixth. But if I'm just looking at it mathematically and the way that Albon's been driving, I think it's just going to be too much for Sainz to head off. And it's unfortunately going to be, I think, Albon six, Sainz seventh. I think Sainz is going to do it. I think like these two cars, I don't see Albon getting anything higher than a fifth, right? So I don't think he's going to be getting a fourth, fourth, third, second, or first. Um, He definitely could. The car is capable of doing that in places like Mexico. Um, But I don't, I don't really see Albon like getting a result that is going to like crush Carlos Sainz. So like Gasly has 69, Sainz has 66. So I think I think we're in agreement that Sainz is going to pass Gasly. And then he's got Albon uh, on his tail with 52. So he's got a 14-point lead. And if these guys are, are like trading off 5th, 6th, 7th, you know, right in that range, I think the, the trick for Carlos Sainz is he just needs to match Albon as close as possible. So um, if Albon is right in that 5th, 6th, 7th range... Like signs can't be coming in with, you know, no points. He's got to be in the points, and he's got to be, you know, below ninth and really pushing up and pushing up against those top three teams, and notably just battling it out with Alex Albon. I think this is going to be a fascinating, you know, subplot through every race that we go to. Now, I think these guys are are going to be linked right there uh, when we're looking, you kind of breaking things into the top three cars and then the midfield. We're obviously going where every, all the guys in the midfield are competing against each other, but specifically Sainz and Albon is going to be the highlight down there. So a little bit of math for you. We have five races left. The difference between score, the scoring difference between uh, sixth place and seventh place is two points. So if you're, you know, if you get sixth, you get eight points. If you get seventh, you get two points or you get six points, two points less. So if, Albon takes sixth in the remaining five races, and Carlos Sainz can take seventh in the remaining five races. Carlos Sainz will win. So that's that's kind of let that cook in your noodle and say, okay, do you think Carlos Sainz is going to be consistent and get five seventh place finishes? I don't know. That math that math is is maybe changing my opinion, but. It's going to be tough. I really hope I really hope Sides can hold on to him and do it because that would just be a a really great achievement for for McLaren and really show how amazingly Seidel has done since coming in. And it would reward McLaren for going out and taking a chance on a driver that Red Bull didn't want, right? Like Red Bull basically kicked Carlos Sainz out of their driver program. Like Sainz would be at Red Bull right now. Like he, no, he would have been, you know, first like he, he got kicked been... out of Red Bull, then he got kicked out of Renault. 
yeah, but so th- like potentially he could he could be in Alex Albon's seat at Red Bull, but he's he was kicked out. Um, maybe kicked out's the wrong word. He and Red Bull agreed to part ways, and he went to Renault for the year. And I was obviously at McLaren now, but you know it would really stick it to Red Bull. Um, you know if they let Signs walk, and then he comes back and beats out their their second driver, a combination of Albon and Gasly there. So good luck. As long as that Renault engine doesn't take a crap, I think it's going to be a super competitive race between Albon and Sainz the rest of the way. And it's going to be a super exciting race for the Red Bulls and the Toro Rosos this weekend. Um, Four Honda powered cars in Suzuka. um, The most in, you know, in several, several years. Um, They've got a ton of momentum behind them with the way that Max Verstappen's been performing, the way Alex Albon has come on. Uh, Even the Toro Rosso's, Kvyat has been, you know, Kvyat's got a podium this year. keep forgetting that, but um, it's going to be fantastic for um, the Japanese fans. Just have to pray there's no uh, engine issues, there's no DNFs, and do you think that Max has any shot at the win this weekend? Do you, could you imagine the scenes if, if that happened, if, uh, if Verstappen was able to win in the second home race? Three words. Pray for rain. I think the Red Bulls have a chance if it rains, but I don't think they have a chance if, if it's clear skies. So if we could get like, you know, a light, a light dew, a light mist, and we're doing a bunch of pit stops... Uh, we're going intermediates to wets and then we're trying to time it perfectly and get back um, onto the medium tires. Like if we get a a vintage Japanese Suzuka wet race, I think uh, we all know that Max Verstappen, along with Lewis Hamilton, are two of the best drivers in the wet. So um, as Max has shown in the past, I think where it was in Brazil, you know, like uh, when he was first promoted to Red Bull, right? He like tore it up in Brazil uh, in the rain. And everybody was kind of like, whoa, like this kid's got this kid. One is something special and two uh, is a guy that can shine in adverse weather. So I think if we get some rain, it gives Red Bull and Max Verstappen a lot better chance to take the win. But just having four Honda powered cars on the grid, that's going to be a it's going to be an awesome scene of like pride, redemption, um, excitement. There's going to be all kinds of emotions going on uh, in Japan at at the Suzuka circuit. And it's just good to see, after such awful times with McLaren, uh, to see that engine manufacturer happy and the national pride that they take in that Honda engine. Uh, Hopefully we see that a lot, and hopefully the director and the production crew really puts that on display this weekend. Yeah, praying for for the rain, praying for a a Red Bull podium. I don't think a podium, I think a podium is within the cards for Red Bull this weekend. Your 2019 driver standings uh, so far, we have Lewis Hamilton out front with 322, Botas behind him with 249, Charles Leclerc in third with 215, Max Verstappen in fourth with 212, Sebastian Vettel in fifth with 194, Pierre Gasly in sixth with 69, Carlos Sainz in seventh with 66, Almon in eighth with 52, Lando Norris in ninth with 35, Ricardo right behind him with 34, tied with his teammate Nico Hulkenberg. Danny Kvyat is in 12th with 33 points, tied with Sergio Perez. Kimi Raikkonen is in 14th with 31 points, Magnussen behind him with 20 points, Lance Stroll in 16th with 19 points, Grosjean in 17th with 8 points, Antonio Giovinazzi in 18th with 4 points, Kubica with 1 point in 19th, and George Russell with 0 points. 
your 2019 constructor standings with five races to go. Mercedes with 571 out front. Ferrari in second with 409, clear of Red Bull Racing in third with 311. McLaren is the best of the rest in fourth with 101. And then Renault with 68, Toro Rosso with 55, Racing Point with 52, Alfa Romeo with 35, Haas with 28, and Williams with 1. That brings us to our pick'em. We are at 8-8 eight and eight right now. I have roared back and tied it up. Ted will have the first pick this week, uh, and he will not be able to choose Hamilton, Botas, or Leclerc. Ted, who are you going with? Well, I'm, I'm officially shook. Uh, from this lead that I've blown here. So I was out eight to four, and it seems like I've made just about the wrong pick every week for the last four races. So um, the obvious choice here is Vettel. I tried to get cute last week and go with with Botas, and that didn't work out for me. So I'm going to go with Sebastian Vettel here, and uh, I'm going to hope that Ferrari, the balance of that car and the straight line speed can really perform well in qualifying. And who knows, maybe... uh, Mattia Bonotto and Ferrari will help me out, and Leclerc will give Vettel a toe in qualifying, and he'll sneak up on pole. We'll see, but I'm going to put my money on the hometown hero, Max Verstappen. Uh, again, praying for rain here, uh, that he will come in and find his way onto a podium, uh, as he did last year as well. So Max Verstappen is going to be my number one pick. It's funny you call him the hometown hero. This guy's going to have like five five home races next year, right? He's going to have Japan. He's going to have... Zanvoort Spa is basically a home race, right? Am I forgetting any? Three home races uh, for Austria Max Verstappen. Two, technically the the Red Bull's home. So yeah, he's he's uh, he's Mr. Worldwide. Yeah, four home races for this guy. Unbelievable. Uh, must be a good life. Okay, so I've got Vettel. You've got Verstappen. Uh, I'm gonna go with Signs. I think that's the easy choice. We just got done pretty much stroking the guy and uh, McLaren for half of this podcast. So Signs seems like an easy choice for me. Yeah, he's just stole my thunder. I usually always try and get signs in the second round, but uh, that's the cost of being victorious is you don't have the option open to him. Uh, I'm going to go with... I think I'm going to roll with Sergio Perez here. Uh, I think he's got the experience, uh, and he's got the driving ability, and he's got that Mercedes engine under his hood. Uh, I think he's going to be doing quite well driving around in Suzuka. I'm going to go with Kimi, guy who's had success here before. Uh, I think the fans love him. I think that Alfa Romeo is actually going to figure it out as we head into the end of the season. Uh, Kimi has been a ghost since uh, the great start that he had. Um, but I think Alfa Romeo is finally going to figure it out, and they're actually going to get their act together. Uh, Kimi with some success here before. He's going to channel uh, that McLaren vibe from 2005. And uh, Vettel, signs and Kimi is my squad. Looks good, looks good. I'm going to finalize my picks with Danny Ricardo. I think the Renos have been really good on these speedy, fast tracks. They looked good in Spa. They looked good in Italy. Uh, and I think they're going to look good in Japan as well. So I roll with Verstappen, Perez, and Ricardo as my team. I think that's the first time I haven't picked a McLaren in like eight races. So hopefully Norris doesn't come out of nowhere and get a sixth or seventh overall because that would really – have me kicking myself and uh we will be fighting for uh uh, asahi beer uh japan has a great great bunch of beers out there sapporo kirin ichiban but uh we'll be going with uh asahi um to wet our whistles for the victor qualifying is at 2 a.m eastern on saturday morning that's 11 p.m pacific on friday night 
Race time is 12.10 a.m. Eastern on Sunday morning, and that's going to be 10.10 p.m. for us here on the West Coast on Saturday night. So prime time. You thought Pac-12 after dark was good. We've got F1 after dark on this Saturday. So thank you, Mother's Polish. Check us out at Overtake F1 on Twitter. Send us an email at overtakef1pod at gmail.com. Uh, write, rate us, like us, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. If you can, leave us a note. Let us know what you think. And if you've ever wanted to watch uh, Formula One with a group, this is a great race to do it. Uh, go out there, look, um, Google your local F1 meetups. Uh, if you're in a big city, there's probably one happening somewhere. It's a great time. You go out, you watch the race, you have a couple beers, you find some fans, uh, and you just cheer people on. It's a great time for this, especially if you're on the West Coast, 10-10. You know, it's perfect timing. Uh, definitely go look into it if you've ever wanted to go watch a race with some fellow F1 fans. It's a great opportunity for it. The Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka, tons of history. Go watch some YouTube videos on some uh, past races. There's been some epic battles and some definitely has some historical moments in Formula One at this track. Should be an awesome weekend. Talk to you all soon.